You know what? I was honestly, while you were answering that question in the last podcast, I was actually wondering which of us was more essential to the debrief. (laughs) I kind of went on a little thing. And I I came to the conclusion that it's you, Stephanie, because you add like some gentleness and some softness and some relatability. I get him here. Yeah. I I do think that we are a dynamic duo, but if one of us has to go, it, it should be me. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. I'm your friendly host, Justin Party, And I am Stephanie Keen. Welcome to the new year, my friends. Exactly. And we're here with Pastor Matt Brown. How you doing, buddy? Yes, the PMB, the princess. It's a a new year. It's a new you. Wait, the princess with the what? I was... I don't know. I ran out of inspiration halfway through that. The princess with the podcast. The princess with the podcast. Yeah, there you go. But no, new year, new you. I think you're leaving the princess behind and it's just all going to be... Yeah, kill that inner princess. No, she's coming along? Yeah. She's pretty strong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is awesome. Hey, if you are just joining us, listen, this, uh, first of all, is the greatest podcast you'll ever listen to in your entire life. It's probably the best podcast you've listened to all year. So far, especially if you're interested in getting real answers to tough questions about the Bible. We do this every single week and this is a is a big episode for us super excited episode 47 we are just a couple of weeks away from episode 50. That's right. And for our 50th episode, we are actually going to be doing a live recording in downtown Riverside. We just booked our location at the California Museum of Photography. So we're going to be getting started at 7 p.m. The doors will open at 6.30. We would love to have you guys come hang out with us live and in person as we record our 50th episode. If you're planning on coming, head on over to our Facebook page. You can find the event. You can share the event, invite your friends and uh, RSVP to let us know you're coming. We'll make sure it is a Good, good time. And uh, here's the other big deal. If you've been a longtime listener, we wrapped up our 252 series, which carried us all the way through episodes 46 last episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, now that we're here in 2017, we're switching some things up. That's right. So up next, we are going to be doing a whole series on our vision as a church. Our vision here at Sandals Church is to be real with ourselves, God, and others. So the next few episodes of the debrief are going to be all about what it means to be real with ourselves, real with God, and real with others. So we would love to hear your questions on any of those topics over the next couple of weeks. We'd love to get those in front of Pastor Matt. Absolutely. So if you want to get a question here on the show, head on over to our Facebook page, send us a message, or the best thing you can do is go to debrief.show and click the button that says, ask a question, and we'll do what we can to get it here on front of the show. All right. Today is frequently asked questions. These are all questions that our ministers and leaders here at Sandals Church submitted for you, Pastor Matt. There's questions that they say they get asked repeatedly, either about our church or about God and the faith. And these questions come up a lot in their small groups, community groups, when they're talking about spiritual things with members of their team, whatever. So we're going to hit it, hit you with a whole bunch of frequently asked questions. How's that sound? You feel good? Yeah, sounds great. We're going to take you through the ringer. Question number one, what is your stance on LaCroix sparkling water? Mm-hmm. Delicious. Move over Perrier because LaCroix is taking over. Do you have a particular flavor right now? I'm sipping on an orange. Mm, me yeah. too. Peach pear. Is that your hands yeah, out favorite? Yeah, I noticed in the grocery store though that uh, Perrier now is on sale because they're feeling the heat. I did not notice that. Yeah, Perrier, Why but you know what? water French. That's yeah. Funny. Oh, yeah, Perrier, La Croix. Oh, Pellegrino, but I think that's Italian. Oh, that's mm, right. That's European. delicious, too, though. It is good. And then there's always Voss, which is the boss. Is it's super expensive sparkling water that you can order at, uh, like, restaurants. Oh, well, mm. I will give that's that a fancy. shot. Never. 
So, <laughs> all right, let's jump right into it. We have got eight really uh, pretty awesome questions for you. Question number one, frequently asked questions coming up at Sandals Church. Pastor Matt, what is the reasoning and philosophy behind Sandals Church not giving an altar call every weekend during service? And I think we should start by answering and define, defining what is an altar call first. Yeah, so an altar call nowadays is a an opportunity for a person publicly to come forward uh, to the altar, which just means front of stage. I don't know why we call it the altar because we don't have an actual altar in the church. Altar is um, where they like uh, used to kill animal sacrifices yeah, during it's from, temples. It's from the Old Testament, and, and, and that was the place with which you know things were sacrificed. So it's a little bizarre in the language that we use because we don't have a temple anymore. Uh, Christ is our temple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, He is our priest. He is our tabernacle. He is the place where we connect with God. Um, the church is simply the building or the facility where we gather together as the uh, collective church to worship Christ. And so that's all that it is. So it's a little strange that we use that word, an altar call. But what it is, is it's a public way for a person at the end of a service, uh, typically the end of a sermon, to come forward, to walk down the aisle or at a harvest crusade or you know some gathering mm-hmm. up front to the place where the speaker speaks to publicly uh, give their life to Christ, which there's an, that's an awesome thing. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that it's a beautiful thing. For example, if you've ever been to Harvest Crusade, um, you know, it has one at the end of every service because yeah. the whole goal of the crusade is to invite lost people yeah. who don't know Jesus to come and hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond. My philosophy on church is that my primary responsibility is not to preach the gospel every single week at church, but to educate the church of God to the purposes of the gospel and how to live out the Christian life. So there's two different views of what the Sunday or the weekend service is. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people view it as an opportunity for lost people to get saved. I believe that most people who come to church on the weekends are saved. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality. Um, Every now and then I'll do a special um, service where I'll let the church know, hey, we're going to give an altar call, so invite your friends your family member, or people that have been attending church for a while with the opportunity to come to know Christ. But really evangelism's the, you know, telling people about Jesus should be taking place during the week outside of the church. And then we invite people to the gathering. And so, um, you know, the altar call, um, you know, started in the 19th century and it really started by uh, John Wesley, who was calling people forward to register for Sunday school. So that's the way that you came forward. And then out of that, um, you had the itinerant preachers, which means traveling preachers who would go around sharing the gospel and it turned into this come forward now and give your life to Christ. But mm. it originally started with just a way to register people. How do you register those people who've made decisions? You call them forward. Um, you know, with the advent of uh, sound systems, yeah. audiences got larger and larger and you could speak to more people. And so, you know, you would have to call them forward so that you can assimilate them because if they're in a huge tent meeting, maybe they're way in the back and you won't see them. So that's where it comes from. I think they're great things. Um, here's, here's where I would challenge you if you're a Christian is a lot of Christians, I think, use the altar call as a way of not being real with themselves to say, God is moving because he moved in someone else. So my primary purpose at our weekend services Hmm. is for God to move in you. Mm -hmm. And so God moving in you is not someone else coming forward. God moving in you is you hearing the sermon, being convicted, challenged, and changing. That's my goal, is to move every single person every week closer to God. So if that's a lost person, closer to Christ and receiving Him. And for a Christian person, closer to obedience or an area of obedience where maybe they were ignorant of or they've been in sin in. And so that's just the purpose. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great for churches that do that. But here's the problem. If your church uses the weekend services as the primary tool to call people to Christ, what you have in 20 years is a church that isn't maturing and isn't growing. Mm -hmm. Because if every week it is simply uh, about 
coming to Christ, you're basically trying to encourage people to be babies every single weekend. And that doesn't produce, you know, grown children who become adults and mature. And so I consider my job teaching and educating Christians to grow up. And the primary way to do that is to challenge them each week with some teaching. So mm-hmm. that's just my philosophy. And, and, and all it is, is it's just whatever you're used to. You know, a non-Christian doesn't come and have the expectation that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but people who've grown up in a tradition like mine, Baptist or Calvary Chapel, where that's the norm, it feels like, wait a minute, we didn't get people an opportunity. Yeah. Non-Christian probably shows up to church hoping that they don't yeah. get called out or singled out for some reason. And we do every single week at every campus have ministers who are available Mm-hmm. to talk personally with people. And so here's the thing that we want to do is we don't want to talk corporately to people when they pray to receive Christ. We want to talk to them individually. It's a very, very different thing. We want to find out where they're at, what their knowledge of God is, and that minister can best decide how to either A, lead them to Christ or to lead them you know, in whatever area of help that they need. And so we do have decisions being made every single week at our Absolutely. campuses. They're after the service and people are called forward. And there's always people... Um, that can help. And I've personally led people to Jesus in front of Stephanie. I've Mm -hmm. had people come up to me in the lobby and say, hey, can you tell me how to follow Christ? We do it right there in the lobby and it's fantastic. So Mm -hmm. it does take place. You know, Sandals baptized 419 people in 2016. That's bigger than most churches. So Mm -hmm. people are coming to Christ. People are being saved. That is happening. So um, that's a great question. It's just a difference in strategy. It doesn't mean we have a different mission. We just have a different strategy in terms of how Mm -hmm. we accomplish our mission. And everything at Sandals is, how do we make this personal? Mm -hmm. And the way we do that is by getting ministers to be with people and meeting them right there where they are. Sometimes people don't realize they need to be saved. They just think they need their help in their marriage. And so they come forward for prayer with marriage and it ultimately results in a salvation conversation. So that's pretty powerful. And so here's the other thing. Some people don't know they're lost, so they're not gonna come forward to be saved when they need to be, but they might come forward for prayer, Mm -hmm. for healing, uh, for some monetary issues. And then through that, we can help them realize their greater need and specifically talk to them. And then before you know it, a person who came forward uh, for a financial blessing or for prayer for their marriage is getting saved. Yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, all So we we do every once in a while have moments where you'll invite people to stand up or come forward to make a commitment to Jesus in service. How how do you decide when that's going to happen? Yeah, basically that is decided by the passage that we're talking about. So I think the last major time we did that, I preached on John 3, which is the chapter on how to be born again. Mm -hmm. And I gave people an opportunity to be born again. But the whole entire sermon is on what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was a powerful message. We had over 500 people that we can, yeah. you know, give their lives to Christ and make decisions to be born again. So it does happen at Samuel's church, but it's not all the time because what you need to understand is, okay, you got 500 people who give them, give their lives to Christ. Now we have to disciple them. Yeah. How do we help them? And that means as a church, we have to scramble. Um, we don't need to make new babies. We need to raise these children. And mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of churches tend to forget that. So after you have that, you got to focus on discipleship, which is why the next year we did 252. Yep. We have all these new Christians. They need to know the story of Jesus and they need to learn the history of the church. And so we did that. Boom, there you go. All right, question number two is, number what, is the, two. <laughs> what is the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and how can it be committed? Here's the verse that they're referring to. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. And that's Matthew 12, 31 and 32. Yeah, it's a great question. And a lot of people debate about exactly what this is. But basically my understanding of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is it is 
the pronouncement of the movement and person of Jesus as being led by the devil, which is what they were saying. So here's the issue. Jesus is doing all these miracles. He's performing all of these signs, mm-hmm. right? So um, people want signs, show us, prove us that you're the son of God. Jesus does all these signs. And what do they say? He does this by the power of Satan. So that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So everything Jesus is doing, he is doing by the power of the enemy. And Jesus is saying, look, that is the unforgivable sin. You cannot equate what is happening here, what you are seeing as the devil. This is the movement and power of God. Mm-hmm. And it is very, very clear. And ultimately, you know, what, what is the unforgivable sin? It is resisting the power of the Holy Spirit on your life to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And any individual who resists the Holy Spirit's conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and does not repent and does not give their life to Christ, they will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. And so that that's what it is. The two are, are, are intricately tied together. And it's very, very careful that we don't divorce those because blasphemy of the Holy Spirit really has to do with the affirmation of who Jesus is through the power of the Spirit. So if a person feels the impression of the Holy Spirit leading them to Jesus Christ and they reject that, there is no forgiveness for that forever. And so we need to understand that and, and be very, very clear that on the day of judgment, all who have encountered the power of the Holy Spirit and been convicted of the person and nature of Jesus Christ and reject that, there is no hope for them ever, forever. So that's what it is. Is it in, in that sense, is it unforgivable because they're essentially rejecting or denying the need for forgiveness or yeah well God? the only way we the only way you or and I are forgiven is through Jesus Christ mm-hmm. so if someone rejects God's only offering of peace and that's really hard for us in our modern world because we fail to understand that God is above us and we are beneath him and so we feel like we can negotiate yeah. how our relationship with God is reconciled and you hear a lot of modern thinkers think that way well the way I connect with God and what what are they saying I am at the center of of God and I's relationship. And so I dictate how we connect. Mm-hmm. And really what they're saying is they're God and God isn't God. Yeah. And that's what's so dangerous about so much of the modern cults that are around, and by cults, I mean non-Christians, is they put themselves at the center rather than God at the center. And so God as the center of the relationship is said, the only way to repair this with me is through my son. And it makes sense, right? God's a relational God. The only way for God to repair the relationship is by sending his very relationship with his son to us. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it speaks of God's nature. He is triune, he is relational. So how does he mend the broken relationship? He sends himself, his son, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, to mend the broken relationship, so. All right, question number three, does Sandals Church accept homosexuality? Wow, you guys are really throwing them at me today. <laughs> We're not holding back. No, you're not. So, man, that's a great question. And so, really, I have two audiences for this. Those who um, would consider themselves gay or, as the language we use at Sandals Church, same-sex attracted, and those who are just curious, you know, is Sandals a conservative church or has Sandals moved more in line with liberal uh, media and really the culture of America as it moves closer and closer to just full acceptance and embracing of homosexuality? Mm-hmm. So, let me say this, that there, there's really two... Uh, audience members that I'm going to be answering to. And so let me just say this, first of all, you know, for the Christians who attend our church, Sandals Church is a conservative church. Uh, we may look very, very liberal in the terms of the music we play, the way that I preach, the way that we communicate, our, our facilities, and our buildings, but we're, we're conservative in our theology. And so what that means is we're not changing in the way that the world is changing. However, I think that the way that we answer this question needs to be radically different in the way that it's been answered in the past. And so, you know, are we open to gay people being in our, our church? Absolutely. Just like we're okay with, you know, anybody who is struggling with any sin. And, and here's the way I want to 
kind of wrap this answer is Jesus says this. Um, I'm reading out of Matthew 13, 44 and through 45. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get the money to buy that field. And then he says this again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. And so this is the way that I would phrase this to a, a person who is gay. I think that it's unfair that we draw hard lines in the sand as they are coming to meet Jesus, know Jesus and experience Jesus. I don't think we do that with anybody else. Yeah. And we should not do that, that to our, uh, the gay members of our community. I think that the first thing Jesus says is he says, come and see. So what does a gay person want? A gay person wants what a heterosexual person wants, love and relationship. And so if we're saying before they've experienced the treasure, before they found the pearl of great price, hey, I want you to say no to your deepest desires of your heart, which is you know, a loving um, sexual relationship, which is what most people want. Most people want to experience that. And so if we say at the outset, on the very beginning, that you have to say no to the greatest desire of your heart before they've found the pearl, before they've discovered the treasure hidden in the field, it's offensive. It's not offensive when they discover that the relationship that they want more than anything in the world is the pearl that is Jesus, mm -hmm. that is the treasure hidden in the field. At that point, we can now have a discussion about selling everything that you have and saying no to your deepest desires because now it makes sense, right? You don't sell everything you have with the hope that there's a treasure in a field. You don't sell everything that you have with the hope that there's a pearl. You make those decisions because you've discovered something and you found something. And so this is what I would say to a person who's struggling with homosexuality. Come and see, come and check Jesus out. Understand this, that God is looking for a personal relationship with you, just like he is if you're straight. Straight people have to come to the same decision. God is looking for an intimate relationship with me and all intimate relationships have sexual boundaries. E even in the context of, um, marriage, right? A sexually active relationship. There are boundaries. Like, um, you know, Kelly, our sound guy, you and I have a sexual boundary. What is it? We don't have sex. Yeah. Stephanie, you and I have a sexual boundary. We don't have sex. My wife and I have sexual boundaries. You're saying, well, wait a minute. You have sex. Yeah, we have sex with each other and no one else. All intimate relationships have sexual boundaries. And if you don't have boundaries within your sexual relationship, you are not involved in a, or in a real relationship of any consequence. I mean, you may call it that, you may define it as that. It's not a relationship. That's why everybody kind of subconsciously knows whether they're moral or not, they know that cheating is wrong. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that. Whether you're Christian or non-Christian, if you're an atheist and you're in a relationship, cheating on that person, going outside that relationship, we all intrinsically know that's, we shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Because we know that true intimacy has boundaries. What is God interested in with us? Intimacy. So for the heterosexual, Jesus or Paul says in Corinthians, can you have sex with a prostitute and unite Jesus with that prostitute? No, you can't mm -hmm. because God is not going to be a part of that. And so you are divorcing yourself from the intention intimate relationship that God has for you. So as a heterosexual Christian, I restrain and abstain from sexual relationships outside the monogamous, lifelong committed relationship with my spouse of the opposite sex. That's what God has called me to do. Uh, for the homosexual person, they too are going to have to come to that point where they decide what are their two options as a Christian, according to the boundaries that God has set. One is to live a celibate life, mm -hmm. which you know many people do and 
and there's great joy in that and, and, and all kinds of love. And, you know, we really need to realize as a church how much we need to be there for our gay brothers and sisters because they're saying no to many things. So we need to be saying yes to as many aspects of uh, intimacy that we can biblically provide, which not just with gay people, but with single people. Um, you know, you've been single. I mean, how long have I known you? Um, probably last like five, six years. Five, six years. You mm-hmm. know, I'm always trying to make sure you're taken care mm-hmm. of, that you're okay. I'm thinking about you all the time because you're my single sister in Christ. And so mm-hmm. I've been, you know, looking out after you, watching over you, being careful for you, because mm-hmm. I know that you have chosen a biblical path to abstain from sex until you get married. And I've tried to encourage you and cheer you on in that. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to be there for those people. Here's what I'd say if you're gay. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. Absolutely adores you and love you. And I understand, um, you know, nobody really knows, you know, how we become gay. People say, well, I was born this way. Or, you know, the other side says that you were... Um, created through social environments to be this way. Some people are just rude and say it was a choice and you can unchoose that choice. And here's what I'd say. Sexuality is complex. We all need to be honest. It's complex, okay? I don't know how I turned out not gay. I have no idea how that happened. I think that's the normative uh, pattern for most people. Most people are not born same-sex attracted. However, that's changing in our society as sexual norms are changing. You know, people are open to experimentation. So here's what I would say is, whether you're born that way or through socialization, you were influenced to be that way. Either way, at one point, you're going to have a choice, just like the person who found the treasure buried in the field. They now know that what's in the field is worth more than everything they have, all that they have. And so they're going to sell all of that to buy the field. And for the gay person, here's what I would say is pursue Jesus. And if you fall in love with him, the way that he loves you, right? How does Jesus love you? He gave up everything for you. Said no to every desire he had as a human being in his life. He has done that for you. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he's pursued you. Whether you're gay or straight, that's how he pursued you. Mm -hmm. If you fall in love with Jesus, the treasure in that field, I believe you're going to want to say yes to Jesus and say no to your other passions and desires. Why? Because they are nothing in comparison to what you found. And I have two friends, uh, you've met them, uh, Ed and Tom, that I love with my whole heart. Um, you know, they were gay and together for 20 years, they found Jesus. And that radically altered their life, radically altered their life. And they came to each other and said, well, we feel like we can't have sex anymore. I mean, for dudes, right? right? That might be a little easier for girls, for dudes, that's a, that's, that's a big decision. Mm-hmm. Well, why did they do that? They found a new treasure. Hmm. They found a new desire. And so they were willing to exchange pearls. And um, so here's what I would say. Sandals Church is a church that is open for all to come and see. At some point, true love demands everything. Mm -hmm. And there's going to come a point in your life where you hear these words from Jesus. Now it's time to come and die. That's what Jesus says. If any man wants to save his soul, he must lose it for my sake. Luke 9, 23, that we've been talking about all this last year. If any man or woman would come after me, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. So why would Jesus ask that? Because that's what he did for you. He denied himself for you. And he's asking for that same level of love for you, for him. And so um, I realize if you're a gay person, this is a lot to ask. And um, I love the gay people in our church. I, I am overwhelmed with their commitment to Jesus. But to them, all it is is they found a field with a different treasure. And so what most of us grow up thinking is the greatest level of love we can ever experience, which is a sexually uh, intimate relationship with another human being. 
what they found is something that's more powerful than that, a greater desire. Um, it's why Jesus abstained from sexuality on earth. He did not participate in sex. I'm gonna guess there were some women and men that found him attractive, powerful leader, mm -hmm. influential leader. Um, you know, people followed him and it's normally normal to be attracted to a person of authority and just, I mean, he's Jesus, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he's, oh my gosh. So, but Jesus abstained from that because his ultimate goal was to connect us with God. His pursuit was every one of us in a non-sexual way, but our relationship with God has sexual boundaries. So I hope to write a book on that, um, you know, at another time that I think we'll, we'll go in depth. But like we talked earlier on the show today, um, we worship a relational God who wants to be in relationship with us and all relationships with your husband, with your wife, with your friends, with your kids, all of them have sexual boundaries. And people who don't recognize that, there's something deeply broken inside them, right? Mm -hmm. There's something broken. And so God wants us to understand um, that sex is a gift that ultimately points us to the love, power, and passion of God, but it is not the love and power that we're to pursue. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the field. So again, if you're gay, come and see. And this is what I would say is we're open to all people. We are not affirming of the gay lifestyle. And what I mean by that is, is we have gay people in our church. Um, some of them, uh, you know, participate in gay sex, you know, and I don't run around, I'm not the sex police. I don't run around following people, what they do on their own time, whether you're gay or straight, that's your own business. When we find out about that, we deal with that as a church because we believe that sexual sin affects us and our relationship with God in a peculiar way. It is different from other sins, which is why I keep telling you guys, mm -hmm. not all sex is the same. Sex affects us in our relationship with God. Sexual sin, excuse me, affects us in our relationship with God in a unique way. It has peculiar power in us and over us. And so we all need to be aware of that. And so um, we're open to all people with all kinds of struggles. At some point, gay or straight, you have to make a decision to die to your sexual desires for God. And the only way I believe that's gonna happen is when you fall desperately in love with Jesus and he becomes the most important thing in your life. And when that happens, it's not that hard. Mm -hmm. It's not that big of a choice. But first, people need to discover the treasure in the field. That, that, that's the way that I think it should be communicated. That's the way it should be articulated. And by the way, it's the same way with wealth. Why do my wife and I give so much of our money to the kingdom of God? Because we believe we found a treasure that's worth investing in. And it's more important to me than houses and cars and stuff and things. God's the most important thing. And so we've invested everything in our lives to build this church, to build God's kingdom, because we believe he's the most important thing. Um, you know, and, and Sandals Church is, is an incredible organization. It generates millions of dollars. I don't keep that for myself. Why? Because the treasure is Jesus. And so we take all the, the money and the revenue that Sandals brings in through people's you know, generosity and we pour that back into the community and back into the church and back into people so they can find the pearl. Not so I can build a vacation home, so they can find the pearl. And so we need to articulate it in that way. So we're open to all people, but at some point, when Jesus has invited you to come see and you've seen who he is and you've seen what he is, he's then going to invite you to die to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's whether you have same-sex attraction, it's whether you're straight, it's whether you're greedy, jealous, envious, prideful, or fearful, whatever your core struggle is, um, at some point you're gonna have to die to that and live for Jesus, that's the call. Mm.
Cool. Well, one of the things we're going to end up doing here on the debrief over the course of this year, we'll do some specific topical shows and things like that. So if Pastor Matt just said something around this, the idea of homosexuality or anything like that, that you want to um, get a little deeper on, please send in your questions and uh, we'll do a show with a more deeper take onto all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Our next question is, how do you discern the difference between your personal inner thoughts and the voice of God telling you to do something? Yeah, man, very, very carefully. So how, how, do, how do we discern? First is scripture. What does scripture say? Because we have to be careful with our thoughts. Our thoughts can mislead us. Our thoughts can be negative. Our, you know, our inclinations can be off and wrong. So the first thing we need to do is, is, is there anywhere in scripture where this is specifically spoken to? So I'm feeling this way. Are these feelings um, found anywhere in scripture that relate to God's heart for me in my life? So we look to scripture. There's a specific instance, a circumstance, and, and you're not going to find every single problem dealt with in the Bible. You're just not. The modern world creates modern problems that you know, the Apostle Paul couldn't have possibly imagined or Peter or James or John or Isaiah or Jeremiah. So we have to take biblical principles and apply them. That's why you need Christian leaders in your life. Maybe somebody that knows a little more about scripture, um, has a little more understanding and some more wisdom um, and, and you need them to speak in your life. And the third area is you need to be in community, community with people that know you, love you and know and love Jesus. And what you need to do is you need to say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And here's the key. You've got to have spiritual community that will tell you no. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. nobody wants to like, you know, oh, I really feel like God's telling me to marry this guy. You're like, yeah, no, you know, no. Um, so, you know, I just think that's so important. You know, Stephanie's um, going through, you know, the engagement process. And um, when I got to meet Tyler, you know, one of the things, you know, Tyler's been a little, intimidated by me. I, apparently I'm intimidating. I didn't know that. But it's pr- what, what she's told him is, and you can jump in here, Steph, mm-hmm. is you've said Matt's important in my life and I care about mm-hmm. what he thinks. Yeah. So I am uh, a, a helper in Stephanie's life in determining God's will. I've been that for you in your life and sure. you guys have been that for me in my life, but it's spiritual community where I kind of know Steph's personality. Mm-hmm. I know your personality, you know mine. And we're like, well, that sounds like Stephanie. That's not Jesus. Or that sounds like Justin. That's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because we can all get caught up in our own passions and our own desires. And um, I've seen Christians make some really, really selfless decisions. I remember a couple of years ago, there was this family in our church. They, they really loved uh, like NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And they just knew God was calling them to quit their jobs and travel around with NASCAR and share Jesus. And I was like, that sounds more like you want to be with NASCAR than Jesus. And so always be very careful when you feel like God is calling you to marry your passions with your serving. Hmm. I, you know, for me, it's why I don't pastor a church in Hawaii. That's where I vacation. You know, and whenever someone's like, oh yeah, God's calling me to start a church in Laguna Beach. Love you, Laguna Beach. But, <laughs> you know, everybody wants to start a church there. Um, but there isn't, like a, there isn't like a line of a thousand people who want to go to inner city San Bernardino. Right. Praise God for those people because I, I guarantee you that's probably not their passion and their desire. But we need we need people there, so um, that's a great way. When when it, when when you're really excited about it, be careful. Mm-hmm. Be really really careful because I know. I mean, that's how that's why I knew God called me to start a church in Riverside because I wasn't super excited about it. I had a great church in Huntington Beach. Of course, that's got to be God's will, right? No, I'm out here and God has blessed me immensely by coming out here because it wasn't my plan. It wasn't my desires, but God's done great things. So that's a great, great question. So again, Bible, leadership, community, that's how. One thing on, I just was thinking, I think at least for me, one of the best ways I found community at Sandals Church has has for sure been through community groups, but also it's just been through honestly joining teams when even before I came here on staff, because 
you know, it gives me the opportunity to get to know people and hang out with people and develop relationships with other Christians and people trying to be real in their own lives at Sandals Church without the pressure of like, I've got to sit down and talk to you about all my life and my feelings and all those other kinds of things. So for me, the, the thing that pushed me in the direction of learning how to, you know, develop relationships and community and getting people who would speak into my life was through serving and being on a team here at Sandals Church. So right. if you're interested in, in, pursuing that, but maybe just not ready to like fully dive in super great ways. Just get on a team, serve at the same time, every single week with the same people. And, uh, I think you'll see some good things happening. Yeah. yeah just go to sandalsearch.com, click connect, and you can find groups and teams. Mm. All right. Up next question. Number five, is it possible to lose our salvation? Where'd it go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm working on the sound effects thing. Yeah. That was oh, funny. That was good. Um, well, losing your salvation is not a funny topic. And so, dun, you know, dun, dun. the Christian community is divided on this issue. Um, and, and just know that there are great God-fearing Christians who are on both sides. Um, and so, you know, here's what I would say. Are, are you in danger of losing it? Look, you know, I lost my phone today. You're not going to lose your salvation for that. So I don't like the language mm-hmm. uh, that is used. Um, you know, losing, I think, connotes misplaced, didn't know where it went, didn't know what happened, confused. I, I, I certainly see no evidence whatsoever in scripture for any of that. There are uh, a ton of scripture about the security of the believer. So let's define it in, in that terms. Uh, I believe in a thing called the security of the believer. And okay. so what that means is when a person becomes saved, that they are secure in their relationship with God. Uh, Jesus talks about, no one will take you out of my hands. All those the Father has given to me are mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not getting them out of my hands and you're certainly not getting them out of the Father's hands. Uh, the Bible uses language, uh, talking about was dead, became alive, was in darkness, has experienced the light. Mm -hmm. And that language uh, connotes, I think, a permanence of relationship. And so I think that's important. Then we have this book called Hebrews, Hebrews chapter six and Hebrews chapter 10, which creates some problematic challenges to our understanding. And Hebrews chapter six and 10 talks about this idea of of, um, tasting of the Holy Spirit, experiencing the Holy Spirit, and then walking away from that. And that's where the theological tension occurs between, uh, you know, different groups. Say maybe uh, if you come from a Nazarene background, mm-hmm. um, they they don't hold to this idea of once saved, always saved. Whereas maybe if you went to a Reformed church or uh, uh, most Baptist churches, you know, they believe in what's called once saved, always saved, or mm-hmm. uh, the security of the believer. And so you have differences of opinion. And so here's what I would say is um, the Christian doesn't need to be insecure. The Christian doesn't need to be worried. The Christian doesn't need to, um, you know, stay up awake at, at night wondering, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, um, a- am I saved? If you have repented of your sins and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that is the desire of your heart, I believe the Bible says you are saved and you will endure to the end. Here's where I get a little uh, different from my Baptist brothers is, is I think in preaching the security of the saints and the security of the believer, People confuse that with, I said a prayer, I went forward, I got wet, and so mm-hmm. therefore I'm good. Yeah, And I think that that's really, really does harm to people. Um, you know, um, it doesn't do a cancer patient any good if you tell them, you know, that they're in remission if they're not. And so if you give them a false sense of security, they go out, you know, and they just continue living their lives and then one day drop dead and family's like, what happened? So I think this, that when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes inside them, there's going to be new desires, new wants, and new direction. And if you don't see those things, you know, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. There's, and, and by fruit, he means evidence. There's gonna be mm-hmm. evidence in your life of your salvation. 
okay, we're not saved because of the works we do, but the works we do point to the evidence that we're saved. And, um, and so I, I think that's huge. But, uh, you know, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10 talks about people once tasting, once experiencing, and walking away, choosing to say no. And the text is pretty clear. There is now no salvation for them. There's nothing that can redeem them because they've rejected the cross of Christ. Um, so um, here, again, I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking both sides on it. You're secure, you're saved, but I don't think we need to run around saying, well, that person said a prayer when they were six, but they've never followed God. They've never given their life to God. And that God is no, in no part of their life. And then at a funeral, we say, well, in vacation Bible school, they gave their heart to Jesus at five, six years old. I just mm-hmm. don't buy that. Um, and we, so that, that, that's my challenge. I think that there's theological errors on both sides. Within the, the concept that you're talking about of, you called it security of the believer. Yeah. How then do we reconcile the idea that maybe somebody comes to Sandals, comes to my church, maybe they join my community group and they're following Jesus, but then through a series of events, they seem to end up rejecting Jesus, walking away from the church, walking away from the faith, maybe just completely abandoning that. What is your idea well, that they were yeah, kind of tricking themselves? Yeah, my theological stance would be that they weren't saved. And they were not even being real with themselves. Yeah, because because I believe when I look at the scripture that the true saints of God will endure to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, those that, that that have been transformed have been changed. They won't live perfect lives. They may stumble. They may fall. Um, you know. And by the way, you know, uh, Galatians talks about falling away from the grace of God. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with falling away from this idea that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone saves us. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's where the ter- term fall comes from. So it's not like you're you know, one day you're a Christian, you trip and fall, and then you're not. It's that they had fallen away from this idea that you're saved by grace in through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. The Galatians had fallen away from that. They'd been convinced that what you need to do is actually do more things to be saved. So they weren't like falling into what we would consider sin. They were like falling into a false sense of righteousness. You got to do more to be saved. So accepting Christ is not enough. You got to do more. And Paul says, you have fallen away from grace because we're not saved because of our works. We're saved because of Christ works. And so, um, you know, again, people who are constantly worried about, oh my gosh, am I saved? Those are the people, you know, that don't need to be worried. The ones that never, ever think twice about it. I'm like, you know, because Paul says, work out your salvation with mm-hmm. fear and trembling. We should all be in awe at what it is that we've received in Christ and, and be thankful and grateful for that. So, um, you know, my short answer is no, you can't lose your salvation. Um, but read Hebrews 6 through 10. Got it. All right. Now here's an interesting question for you. Why are there no female pastors at Sandals Church? Yeah, that's a question that we get a lot at Sandals Church. You know, as culture has shifted and changed, you know, women, um, you know, have earned the right to vote in uh, America, you know, equal work for equal pay, all of those things. And so the culture is changing. I think that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that women are valuable, incredible. Um, I think it's exciting, you know, that we had a a woman uh, candidate for president of the United States, uh, came really, really close to winning actually, um, won the popular vote. And that's exciting for women and um, an incredible step. And I think all of those things socially are great things. However, as the church, it's not our job to change uh, our views of what men are and what women are within the context of two things, A, in the home and B, in authority in the church. And so when I read scripture, I think the very, very clear teaching of scripture is that God has uniquely Uh, appointed men to do two things. Number one, to serve and to lead in their homes. And number two, to serve and lead 
in the church. And that's their role and that's their responsibility. The challenge with that is women, um, A, are much more willing to serve and B, seem much more equipped to lead. That's just kind of the reality. You know, you ask, you know, why aren't there pastors? Well, the word pastor means shepherds. And really what that means is caretaker, overseer, watcher, and and women are just more naturally gifted at that. And so one of the reasons why I think God has said men need to do this is because men are lazy mm. and we won't do anything unless God tells us to do it. And I, I think you see that in homes, you see that in churches, you know, women lead, women take responsibilities, women are more spiritual oftentimes than men. Um, and I think a lot of that is because as um, women have been championed in our culture, men have gotten kind of lost a little bit. Yeah. And so this is what I would say is um, churches have varying different degrees. There are Christian churches who do have female pastors. And for me, um, I disagree with them according to scripture, but I don't disassociate with them. So uh, there are female pastors in our city. I'll, I'll go to a meeting with them. I'll pray with them. You know, I'll, I'll meet with them. I don't consider them non-Christians. We just disagree on what scripture says. I think the clear teaching of scripture is, like I said, there's a key, there's difference uh, in men and women. God loves us the same, but he has different roles for us. And so um, women are allowed to do many things at Sandals Church. So here, here's where we're not, you know, most churches are either women can do everything or nothing. And Sandals is kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that the senior uh, pastor role is reserved uh, for a man. Hmm. And, and that's just what we believe. But women can do all kinds of other things. Uh, we're open to having women on our board. We're open to having women uh, serve as directors, serve as leaders in our church. And we even uh, license women as ministers at Sandals Church, which in the Bible is the role of deacon. And so you see in the scriptures that there are deacons and deaconesses. Mm-hmm. So there are female ministers in the scripture. We also see women, uh, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we saw um, that Philip's daughters prophesied so women can speak prophetically. Uh, women can utter the words of God. Uh, there's Deborah, the leader in the Old Testament. So women are granted a great deal of authority uh, you know, for their contemporary times back in the day. So God values women, encourages women, but he has reserved the male to be the unique role and leader of the church. And so we do that at Sounds Church. And like I said, not everybody agrees with me on that, but um, my job is not to be uh, socially relevant. My job is to be biblically accurate. And so mm-hmm. when I look at the Bible, I think Apostle Paul is pretty clear you know, that he does not allow the woman to usurp a man's authority in that responsibility. And so that's a difficult thing. It's a controversial thing, but I think it's the clear teaching of scripture and churches that have decided not to go that route really have to turn themselves into pretzels to kind of maneuver around what the Bible says and teaches. So again, God is not chauvinistic. God is not anti-women. God loves women. Um, God created them. Um, You know, they're, they're a blessing and None of us would be here without our moms. So we're all very, very grateful and very, very thankful. But my job is to lead my family and lead this church through Christ-like leadership, which means die first, give in first. You know, whenever I can, I submit to, you know, Tammy's desires, her heart. Those things matter to me and are important to me. Um, And as are the women of our church. I mean, you're on staff with me. And one of the great values of having you work so closely with me is in being in relationship with you, uh, and working with my wife at Sandals, I'm constantly reminded of the female perspective, which is not my own, mm-hmm. which I am in desperate need of. So I really, really appreciate the women in our church who serve and lead. But what I found with most women, most women want to be led. Now, I'm not saying that's true for every woman, but I don't have, I can't, I can't remember a time in 20 years where I've heard a woman say, you know what I want? I want my husband to be less of a leader. Right. I want my husband to be less spiritually mature. <laughs> It usually it's the exact opposite. I want my husband to lead. He doesn't lead. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know what to do. Um, 
And so I, I know my wife who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is a very, very strong person. Um, she's one of the strongest women I know. Uh, she's a strong leader, has strong opinions, is, is brilliant in, in, in many, many ways, but we're very different. But I know what she wants from me is clear leadership and fair leadership. And over 20 years, I've earned her trust. She values my opinion and she respects my decisions because she knows at the end of the day, my decisions are for what I believe is the best for the future and the direction of our family. And she's learned to trust me in that. And I'm grateful that she um, lovingly and willfully submits to me in my leadership as her husband and as her pastor. And uh, I, I take that on humbly uh, with full respect. And, um, you know, th- I think there's guys out there that are insecure, that lord it over people. And, you know, anybody that's running around telling people to submit, what that means is they're not a leader. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, I don't think I've ever told you to submit. I don't I think, think those so. words have ever come out. Stephanie, you will submit, right? <laughs> not seriously, probably. Yeah, well, maybe Love in it. humor, in jest, yes. but- Disagree with your humor, but- I mean, I think you follow me because you consider me worthy of being followed. And Absolutely. so I think that that's my job is to act in such a way where people go, okay, I'm gonna trust myself with this guy. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I would say at Sandals Church is people come to Sandals because they trust me. They believe that um, I'm trying to honorably follow Jesus and teach the scriptures as they are not as they want them to be. And I don't believe we change scripture. Mm-hmm. I believe ch- scripture changes us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me as a, ma- a male, that means I have to be more humble and more servant-like. And for a woman, she has to be more trusting and more honoring to the system that God has set in place. And so again, you know, Sandals is a little confusing. We let women lead worship. We let mm-hmm. women talk. You actually talk from stage. Yeah, I was right. actually gonna ask a question about that because I know there's a couple of verses that people usually refer to on the more conservative side of a women's right. role in church. So like in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the meetings of God's holy people, women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. So I'm curious to know that because, you know, obviously at Sandals, like, yeah, I've spoken from stage. I'm here on the debrief. Um, how do we kind of interpret that verse or what does that mean for us? Yeah, so there's a lot of different, difficult verses in scripture that we have to interpret, but also culturally understand. So there were cultural norms uh, in Judaism in the first century, things that Paul was unwilling to radically break away from. So here's where the tension comes from. Why is Paul saying women need to be quiet in the church? Because women were speaking freely in the church. Why? Because there was this newfound freedom. And so they're trying to understand what does it mean when he writes to the Galatians that in Christ, there's no longer male nor female for we're all one in the body of Christ. Well, now we know that doesn't mean that you're actually not a woman and I'm actually not a man. It means that you and I are saved the same way, mm-hmm. that we, we all come to the cross the same, Jew, Gentile, male, female. It doesn't mean that you know, if you were a Jew, you're not Jewish. And it doesn't mean as a Gentile, I'm not a Gentile. It doesn't mean that as a woman, you're not a woman or as a man, I'm not a man. Mm -hmm. We still have those roles. And so we have to figure out together, okay, how do we do this together? Um, And so, you know, what Christianity was not inciting was not a cultural revolution. So Paul is careful, right? He doesn't try to overthrow Rome. He's also not trying to overthrow gender norms. However, having said that, women have more freedom in the church than at any other time in Judaism. So there is a shift. Mm -hmm. And that's why many people choose to interpret, well, uh, there's a progressive nature towards this. And so over 2000 years, we've learned that women are to be equal in all ways and all things. Well, I would say equal in value, but they have a different role. Mm -hmm. Um, So my wife and I are are both equal in in value to the church. I'm not more important because I'm a man or she's less important because she's a woman. God loves us the same, but he has different roles for us. And I believe that that doesn't change. So we need to, as best we can, try to interpret something that was culturally uh, 
teaching 2000 years ago. For example, Paul also says that a woman should not pray without her head uncovered. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a cultural thing. Yeah, you still see that in Islam. Islam still practices that, right? Women walk around with a head covering, um, which is a, you know, a little different like in Judaism because the men have their heads covered mm -hmm. and, and the women don't. So um, it's a little different. So what does that mean? And, and what I think it means is, is that Paul states clearly, men are still men and women are still women. And there are distinct roles in the body of Christ for both. Both have value, both have importance, but they need to maintain a woman is a woman and a man is a man. And you're going to experience God in the fullest when you submit to that. And both men and women, right? We submit out of reverence to each other for Christ. So both men and women submit, but that looks differently. So I think that's a great verse. And there are many, many verses that, again, what is the overall meaning? Point to the fact that even though we have all this freedom, even though we're all saved by grace, there still are some roles that God wants us to carry out. And, um, you know, Adam is still Adam and Eve is still Eve. And Paul makes that point. Mm -hmm. And together we work together and complement each other to accomplish the mission of Christ. So great question. Challenging. Yeah. yeah thank you. Okay. All right. Two more questions. We're I making know. our way through. So question number seven, Jesus said that no one knows the hour of his second coming, not even him, but many scriptures seem to indicate that it was going to happen very soon. For example, in Matthew 16, it says, for the son of man will come with his angels in the glory of his father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Nice sound effect, Justin. And he, Jesus says, and I will, t I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Now, obviously Jesus still has not come back yet. Were the apostles wrong or misled in this verse. Yeah, no, the apostles weren't wrong, but certainly all the apostles, including Paul, thought that the, Jesus, the return of Jesus Christ was imminent mm -hmm. within their generation. Um, we just finished the book of Acts. The book of Acts, according to Luke, is basically saying, look, we, we've taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. Christ can return. So according to their world and their understanding, the gospel had gone to every nation, to all peoples everywhere. And you know, they were living in the expectation of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In this particular passage, most scholars believe that what's being discussed here is the transfiguration. Transfiguration occurs in the next chapter and they get to see who Christ is coming in his glory. So he is transformed. Hmm. They see him in his pre-incarnate um, state, right? His body changes. They're up at the, the temple or the temple, the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. And so they get to see him. So th that's what most scholars tend to think that passage is talking about specifically. Yeah. However, when you read the scriptures, everybody thought Christ was returning. I mean, Paul even has to debate with people who thought Jesus had already returned and they missed it. So mm -hmm. that's how imminent they thought the return of Christ was. And that's why he says the great rapture passages, no, you won't miss it. There will be a, a shout from heaven and a trumpet mm -hmm. and Christ will be in the sky and we will be caught up in the air with him. I mean, that that whole point of that passage is it, everyone's going to see it. You're not going to miss it, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be on Instagram and Twitter yeah. and Facebook and on every news channel. I mean, no one is going to not know. So, Got it. All right, we are coming to the end of our frequently asked questions. Here it is. Here's the last one. Thank which... God, you guys are killing me today. <laughs> hey, dude, this is how it came You're in. Making me sweat. Well. This is our first debrief in a long time where I sweat. Dude, 2017, <laughs> we're starting it off yeah. with a bing. Yeah. That was a bang, but I just got yeah. excited in my pronunciation if anyone was confused. Here we go. Question number eight. Pretty sure this will be another softball because you get this question, as I understand it, all the time. Why is this church called Sandals Church? Oh, thank God for the easy question. <laughs> Man. Yeah. You got, you got me. Oh, geez. 
question on homosexuality, women in ministry. I was like, what, what is next? This is great. End times and losing yeah. salvation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. Dun, so, dun, dun. Yeah. Which, by the way, every single one of those questions should be a podcast in and of itself where I have time to prep. Thank we you make very some much. Notes. We'll work on well, that. Well, you did great you did with pretty... what we gave you. So thanks. Yeah, no softballs. Jeez, you guys were like throwing them at me. Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Why is it called Sandals Church? Yeah, so um, the whole idea is, you know, this idea of, of, of how do we follow Christ? And mm-hmm. to me, the first step is always being real. And mm-hmm. that's what it's about. And so um, Jesus said this in um, uh, Luke, is it what? John 8, 32, sorry, not Luke. John mm-hmm. 8, 32, the truth shall set you free. And um, that passage means to me that following Christ, knowing Christ, having a right relationship with God is being truthful with yourself, him and others. And so... Um, If anyone wants to know is, what does it mean to be a Christian? How would you define that? I would say the first step is to become real. Real about who you are, real about who God is, and real about what God has called you to do in your life. And so um, I just would say that if you're not willing to be authentic, if you're not willing to be transparent, if you're not ready to be a truthful person, Christianity is not the religion for you. It just doesn't work. And I meet so many people who've been raised in the church. They have Christian relatives, Christian friends who are just not real. And it's such a tragedy. Jesus says, be done with hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. And if you don't know what a hypocrite is, it's the Greek word that we translate in English, actor. And so what he's saying is don't pretend it. You can't fake it till you make it. Look, we're all a mess. We're all a disaster. Men, women, you know, gay, straight, we're, we're all a total mess. And we need to be real about that. And we wanted to create a church where people could have real conversations. Man, I, I hope that gay people would come to our church and they would say, you know what, I'm gay. I'm trying to figure out what that means. You know, don't hide it. Uh, I would encourage you to be open and honest about it um, and just be open and honest with it about God, with the scripture, with your small group and figure out where you need to go. Um, same thing, you know, uh, you know, about your question, uh, you know, about men in leadership. Look, that's what I believe. I'm being real with you. You may mm-hmm. not like it, but at least you know where I stand and that's where we are. And um, I, think, I think we need to be real, not just about um, what we think, but about our gender and how God has called us to serve him uh, according to the gender that he picked for us. Um, I, w- I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't in a line like, hey, I want to be a guy. I mean, I, this is what I was born. Mm-hmm. And um, God's called me to serve him in this capacity. And he's designed me for this purpose. And um, I don't know. I, I just think being real is so freeing. Um, it's so freeing. Nobody's perfect. There's a bloody cross 2,000 years ago that says nobody was good enough. Um, and unfortunately, the only one who was good enough is the one we killed and the one who died on that cross for us. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so sandals, right? You know, blessed are the feet that bring good news. It's this idea of sharing this good news with people. They can be real. They don't have to fake it anymore. There's a place for them. Sandals is a place for people to be real. Awesome. Okay, so good news. If you're interested in learning more about being real, we have a, a whole series we're getting ready to jump into for the, our vision and what it means to be real with ourselves, God, and others. We're jumping into that pretty much coming up right now. So listen, don't miss a week at Sandals Church uh, over the mm-hmm. next couple of weekends. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up, and we're going to dive really deep into what it is that it means to be real. That's right. And over the next couple of weeks of the podcast here, we're going to be doing the same exact thing, including on our live episode that is happening Tuesday, January 24th. We're going to be in downtown Riverside. Yep. It's going to be a really great time. We're celebrating our 50th episode of The Debrief. It's going to be awesome. And we would love to have you there and join us. Great so- things are planned. Go to the Facebook page, RSVP. Mm-hmm. Let us know that you're coming mm-hmm. and uh, come hang out with us downtown. It's going to be fun. Pastor Matt's going to be there. Stephanie's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Producer Kelly, you going to be there? He gave us a thumbs up. We got all kinds of other great people that are going to be there and maybe even some treats. 
I just had this idea of uh, chimichanga. What if we had a team chimichanga before the when show? When you say treats, I don't think chimichanga. No, no, no. It's well, I, we'll have like regular churro. treats for other, but then we'll. But all, your what treat if we also a have a chimichanga backstage? We can have just some to, chips and guac. Because chimichanga was like at the mm. very beginning of the whole thing. Yeah, we talked about guac too. I think. Oh yeah. So what if we have a little? What if, the, what if we have a little Mexican team, little Mexican fiesta? Before fiesta? we go, also out like there. fiasco. Yeah, well, where are we having that? Um, we can't tell everyone yet because we're waiting for the contract to get signed. Uh, we're gonna sh- hopefully we're gonna announce it next weekend. It's mm-hmm. three weekends away, three weeks away. Get it on your calendar, mm-hmm. January twenty fourth. Yeah, aim Tuesday for night, somewhere in downtown 7 PM. Riverside. It's downtown Riverside at a cool venue. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be the coolest debrief we've mm-hmm. ever done live in front of people. That's true. It's may or may not be the only one. Hey, one other thing. <laughs> if you are a big fan of the show, we appreciate your support and we would love if you would help what God is doing here at Sandals Church, including the supporting the debrief. Uh, if you want to do us a favor and and uh, just make a little donation to support the show, even a dollar per episode would be super helpful. If you text give debrief to 951-900-4120, give debrief to 951-900-4120, and uh, uh, it gives you an opportunity to make a donation and uh, support Sandals Church and what God's doing here, including the debrief. If uh, you'd be willing to do that, if you're a listener of the show, if you'd even donate a dollar an episode, man, we think that would make a huge impact and help us continue to create places to people for people to be real all around the Inland Empire, Southern California, perhaps the world. Pastor Matt shaking his head. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's, in. it's an affirmative. It's an affirmative. Can you confirm that? Yes. All right, there you go. <laughs> we love you guys. We'll see you back here next weekend for another great episode as we start talking about the vision.